The sermon you are about to hear was given at Pillar Bible Fellowship in Hood River, Oregon. Pillar Bible Fellowship exists to glorify God by knowing Christ more fully and making Christ more fully known. Email any comments or questions about the sermon to feedback at pillarhoodriver.org. You can find more information about Pillar Bible Fellowship online at www.pillarhoodriver.org. Please enjoy the podcast. Would you, uh, church family, join with me in prayer? And Father, we, we do confess that nothing compares. Nothing compares to you. And I am so delighted. I'm so grateful to be here, to be present here this morning with your church, with your bride. They are indeed the excellent ones. Thank you, Father. And as as we now move to the time of your word being opened and preached upon, I, I ask, Holy Spirit, to allow your word to be spoken through me and imparted to my brothers and sisters in Christ, that we would share in it together and be impacted by it, that it would have its full effect upon our hearts and our minds. I ask this grace in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Church family, go ahead and settle into your seat. Ephesians chapter 6, we got part 2. Oh, well, I am very much pleased to be here and have another opportunity to to share God's word with my brothers and sisters in Christ. And uh, I'm, I'm going to start off this morning. Oh, first of all, hello to those viewing from home. So glad you're here as well with us. Um, yeah, thank you for being here. Um, so I'm going to start off this morning naming a list of places that all have something in common. Okay, so... So go ahead and voice what you think it is as I'm sharing them. Like, this is a rare moment I give you opportunity to interrupt me, okay? Interrupt me in doing so. So what do the following places have in common? Saratoga, New York. Tripoli, which is the capital city of the North African nation of Libya. Palo Alto, Texas, Sharpsburg, Maryland, you're getting close, (laughs) make sure I pronounce this right, Manalay Bay, the Philippines, okay, how about Normandy, France, or Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. Who said that? Birthday boy from yesterday. Yeah. Hugh, Vietnam is another one. Takur Gar. Probably not pronouncing that right, but that's Afghanistan. So bullseye. You nailed it, Jason. Famous places where battles were fought. Battles named by their location. The Battle of Saratoga, right? The Battle of, pa- the battle of Palo Alto, the Battle of Normandy and Gettysburg, and so forth. Great battles in history fought and then named. 
And this isn't anything new, for we see famous battles in biblical times named also. For instance, the famous battle at the Valley of Elah, E-L-A-H. Any takers as to what battle was fought there? Go again. You're on a roll. Yeah, the battle between David and Goliath. You nailed it, Jason. This was commonplace in Old Testament times to give a name to a location where significant things took place. Great battles being one of them. For instance, in Numbers 21, just to give another example, when the Canaanite, the king of Arad, who lived in the Negeb, heard that Israel was coming by the way of Atharim, he fought against Israel and took some of them captive. And Israel vowed a vow to the Lord and said, if you will indeed give this people into my hand, then I will devote their cities to destruction. And the Lord heeded the voice of Israel and gave the Canaanites and gave over the Canaanites, and they devoted them and their cities to destruction. So, guess what? The name of the place was called Hormah, H-O-R-M-A-H, which means, any guesses? Destruction. There you go. If I said the word Megiddo, your thoughts likely go towards the location of the final battle on earth at the end of time, also known in Hebrew as, birthday boy, make it a hat hat trick. What is it? Armageddon, synonymous with the end of the world. Armageddon, Megiddo in the Greek, is a real location on the earth where famous battles were fought, which we read about in, in First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles, and also again the location of the final battle at the end of the world, and the beginning of the new world, where it this final battle will be fought. And I say all this, I say all this to remind us that as Christians, we are engaged in a spiritual warfare. The moment God saves you, he enlists you into his army to fight against Satan, sin, and the flesh. We have a real enemy determined to wreck our efforts in God's strength to successfully live this life by faith. For us to be able to stand against our enemy, we must... You guys remember, put on and duo, put on the whole armor of God, which signifies our confidence being in God and not in ourselves. If we stand with confidence in God and not ourselves, we will successfully live this life by faith, claiming victories in the battles we fight against Satan, sin, and the flesh. That we already have the victory won by our risen King Jesus. So, as we concluded last Sunday, we must, 
and duo put on the whole armor of God, signifying our confidence in God and not in ourselves. We put it on. How then do we put it to use? Part two. Part two of how the Christian is to successfully live this life by faith. Part one, covered last Sunday, was for the Christian to successfully live this life by faith. They must continually have their confidence in God and not in themselves. That was part one. And now part two, the concluding second half of verses 10 through 18a, for the Christian to successfully live this life by faith, they must also daily apply, use the whole armor of God. This is our focus this morning. Picking up from where we left off last week, starting in verse 13 and ending in the first part of verse 18. And drawing from our opening consideration of famous battles being given a name, it is imperative for the soldier of God to recognize that they are indeed in a spiritual battle every day and therefore need to be suited up for it. I see this as our first point to place before us in our daily applying the whole armor of God to successfully live this life by faith. And that is to know your battlefields, to know your battlefields. Our first point, drawn from verse 13. Right on the heels of Paul saying, we must put on and duo, put on the whole armor of God, signifying that our confidence is in God and not ourselves. And Paul also making clear to us, clear to the Christian, whom we wrestle against, he then moves right into putting it to use. Having put on the whole armor of God, knowing we are wrestling, we are not wrestling against flesh and blood, we therefore, let's read verse 13, we therefore take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. What, what was the end scene of that most famous battle between David and Goliath? It was none other than David standing in the valley of Elah where he defeated Goliath, holding Goliath's sword, which he used to what? Cut off the giant's head. Goliath lay slain in the battlefield whereas David stood firm, victorious, who charged the battlefield with confidence in God and not himself. And don't take my word for it. Take David's in 1 Samuel chapter 17. David speaking to Saul, verse 17, he says, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And then speaking to Goliath himself, 
moments before running towards him on the battlefield. Verses 45 through 48, David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel and that all this assembly may know, everyone there may know that, Lord, that the Lord saves, not with sword and spear, but the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hand. That's confidence in God. And we can picture a scene with David standing, right, firm over the defeated Philistine on that evil day, on that battlefield, having done all as an example for you and for I. David was able to stand firm. David didn't run away from this battle in the Valley of Elah. You know, he, he charged forward. He fought his enemy. And he stood firm in the victory that belongs to God. The Valley of Elah. Now forever known as a place where this battle was fought and won. Prior to going to battle on this valley. Do you guys remember what happened? We see the scene where Saul is putting the armor on David, to be equipped for the fight. It's good intention, but it was in vain. For David said to Saul, I cannot, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. So David put them off. But then he what? He took his staff in his hand, and he chose five smooth stones from the brook, and he put them in his shepherd's pouch, and his sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. The point being made here is that David knew there was a battle before him that he was not going to back down from. He was not going to back down from it, but rather stand firm and fight. And with confidence in God, he took up, right? He took up. He took up what he was accustomed to fight battles with as a shepherd against lions and bears, and he approached his enemy on that evil day. We likewise, in these evil days, Ephesians 5.16, there is not one day lived on this earth prior to Christ's return that is not considered an evil day. No matter how wonderful a day it was, and praise God for those days, it's right and good to rejoice in them, but nevertheless, we who are to make the best use of our time for the days are evil. 
And we have spiritual battles we fight every evil day we live. And therefore, we need to daily, like David, take up the whole armor of God that we may be able to stand firm, same as David did against his enemy on the evil day he fought in the battle of Elah. And for this reason, it is imperative for the soldier of God, the, the Christian, you and I, it's imperative for us to recognize that we are indeed in a battle every day and therefore need to be suited up for it. We need to be suited up for it. It's, it's useless to have the whole armor of God placed on a mannequin, as it were, like it's on a display or something in a castle. No, it, it does you no good not to take it up, to not be suited for battle. We must be suited for battle. A favorite scene of mine in the Lord of the Rings trilogy is found in the movie The Two Towers. It is when Legolas, when he's at the point of despair. Do you guys remember that scene? He's at the point of despair. Knowing a battle is close at hand of which they are greatly outnumbered against. And even of the number they do have to fight, None are soldiers, and many of them are quite old or even quite young, you know, having seen too many winters or too few, as the line states in that movie, in that scene. In despair, Legolas says to Aragon, they cannot win this fight. They are all going to die. To which Aragon replies with this zeal, then I shall die as one of them. Remember that scene? I love it. I get goosebumps when I see that. I love that response. It's a rebuke to Legolas' despair for the battle. You guys remember, it was inevitable. It could not be escaped. It was inevitable. It was going to happen. And then shortly after, when Legolas is now restored by that rebuke, he goes to Aragon again to assure him of his trust in Aragon's leadership and that he was sorry for despairing. The scene meets that moment with Aragon taking up a soldier's armor and putting it on. It's so good. He is willing to die and he is suiting up for battle. Fantastic scene. Legolas handing him his sword the moment he speaks those words of affirmation. What a helpful visual, I believe, for the inevitable fact that we are fighting battles every day and that we must take up all that God has equipped us with to fight them. That we may be able to stand in the victory that belongs to him. So my question to you to close out this point and move on to the next is this. What is 
or what are your battlefields? There may only be one at this season of your life, but there may also likely be multiple. What are they? Battlefields you aim to daily stand firm in the victory made available to you in Christ. Spiritual battles in the home, perhaps. In your marriage. In your workplace. Internally, within your own psyche. You know, a, a plentiful number of battles can take place just within our, our, own, our own heart and mind. What is or what are your battlefields? Health afflictions, maybe. Not are, but may be another one. Consider the, the woman healed, healed by Jesus in Luke 13. And behold, there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. Church, for 18 years, she was handicapped, you know, just, just bent over, not able to straighten and just function normally. More than half our congregation hasn't lived for 18 years. She lived for 18 years with this disabling spirit of which Jesus said this about her in verses 15 and 16 of that chapter 13 in Luke. In his rebuke to the ruler of the synagogue who was furious with him for healing her on the Sabbath. Listen to what Jesus said. You hypocrites! Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom, now listen carefully, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? Satan bound her for 18 years. An example of demonic oppression. Not possession. Jesus wasn't casting a demon out of her, but she was bound by Satan with this disabling spirit. A type of oppression brought about by the effects of an evil spirit. Health afflictions. Health afflictions can be... Everyone is certainly not, but they can be, as we see plainly here from Scripture, a type of spiritual battle. Wasn't it Paul who was given a thorn in the flesh by who? By Satan. Maybe your spiritual battle is your fight against the evil forces of darkness working against you in your efforts to seek the Lord, 
to persistently seek the Lord with all of your heart and with all your strength and with all your mind. Primarily achieved through the means of spending time with him in his word and in prayer. Maybe your spiritual battlefield is against yielding to lust or or killing your crave for power and control or worldly possessions. I mean, do, do you see where I'm going here? There are many battlefields a Christian fights over the course of their lives. They are inevitable. And to successfully live this life by faith, it is imperative for us to recognize that we indeed fight battles every day and therefore need to be suited up for it. Need to take it, the whole armor of God, to take it up, put it to use. We got to do that every day, that we may be able to stand firm against a real enemy, our real enemy who is not flesh and blood. What are your current battlefields? Name them, know them. Call them out to yourself by name. Share them with other entrusted Christians so that you may clearly know them. And preparing your minds for action, 1 Peter 1.13, suit up each day in all the armor of God that you may be able to stand firm on each battlefield against your enemy. Holding the line in God's strength and the victory that belongs to the Lord. Know your battlefields. With this clearly, with this now clearly identified, and the imperativeness for us to daily take up the whole armor of God, it's time to learn how to put it to use, how to apply it, which is our second point. And that is to know how to use the whole armor of God. Do you, do you remember that scene with David in 1 Samuel 17? The one where Saul puts on his own armor on young David for the battle he's about to fight? Do, do you remember what David said as to why he put it off? as to why he put it off, put off Saul's armor. He told Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. I have not tested them. Now, now no doubt, they also probably did not fit David very well, okay? For he was a youth, in all likelihood, an adolescent teenager. And moreover, Saul, as we know from scripture, stood what? Well above all his kinsmen. Meaning, he was a big man. He was a big man. But that's not the reason David said that he cannot go with these. That wasn't his reasoning. Rather, the reason being is that he hadn't tested them. In other words, He wasn't trained in the use of them. Well, 
In similar form, every Christian would do well to know how to use the whole armor of God to successfully live this life by faith in fighting our daily battles against Satan, sin, and the flesh. And we even see this in our military. Even a well-trained soldier who is not presently engaged in battle still trains, right? Still trains with weapons of warfare to keep sharp and ready for battle. And truth be told, even when it seems we are not under spiritual attack, our enemy is just as active. Using the tactic of quietness in an effort to deceive us into thinking that all is well and that that we've got all things covered. Which leads to our, naturally, our guard coming down and our confidence shifting to self and away from God. Making us a prime, easy target for the devil to attack and devour. Common tactic by the enemy. This is so true. And so we must remain vigilant at all times in knowing how to use the whole armor of God. Verses 14 through 17 provide us with what our armor is. So would you take up your Bibles and join with me once again in reading through this wonderful passage, 14 through 17. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is the word of God. How shall we approach this? Let's try to get inside Paul's head here. Paul was accustomed to spiritual battlefields, was he not? His current imprisonment under house arrest from where he is penning this very letter, this epistle to the Ephesians that we are studying through, being one of them. Would you agree? It was the evil forces at work through the hands of lawless men that had our Lord Jesus crucified. And it is the same evil forces at work through the hands of lawless men to imprison Paul for preaching and teaching about Jesus. More than just flesh and blood at work here. Spiritual forces in the heavenly places that, are, that were instrumental in bringing about the circumstances and the suffering Paul experienced as a direct result of his efforts to plant churches and to preach Christ crucified. 
So, Paul is in a spiritual battlefield here. And he is very accustomed to them. And therefore, understands what we, the Christian, what we encounter on them. It's a battlefield like no other. They're all together different than any of the ones we named at the opening of the sermon. They are, they are a field on which spiritual battles are fought. Spiritual battles against that which is not flesh and blood. Therefore, that which we encounter is that which is involved in spiritual warfare. Paul, who is very mindful of this, trying to get inside what he's thinking here. He, but we know, being Paul, he wants to help Christians, help this church in Ephesus, and indeed help us here and now, you and I. He wants to help us fight with success on these spiritual battlefields that we step on to each and every evil day of our lives, waging war against our enemy who is not flesh and blood. With this topic heavy on his heart and the desire for the church to take hold of the reality of it, he goes to an image he is also very acquainted with in all of his imprisonments, and that is of an armored soldier. Providing Christians imagery providing them imagery to these warfare objects a soldier puts on and relates them to the armor of God, which we are to put on and to take up and put to use that we may be able to stand firm in the victory we have in Christ. Stand firm against all that we will encounter on each of them, on each of these spiritual battlefields within our home, you know, within ourselves, you know, any and all areas where the battle is fought. For starters, for starters, the battlefield will be, will be flooded and the air densely fogged with lies and deceit. Flooded with lies, densely fogged by lies and deceit. Our enemy, not of flesh and blood, who is a liar and the father of lies, liar since the beginning, he advances his forces against us with every kind of falsehood. The schemes of the devil are loaded with them, loaded with lies. Therefore, the supreme importance to have a firm foundation of truth to stand on. Paul identifies the crucial need to have a firm foundation of truth to stand on in every battle fought. Battles as a pattern seen since the beginning from the garden, right, will be flooded and fogged with lies. As the pillar and buttress of the truth, the church 
and each individual member of the church need to be securely fastened to truth as our solid ground to stand on. And likewise, have the spirit of truth to clear the skies that we may see things rightly. A soldier of God, having fastened on the belt of truth, will stand firmly above the flood of lies and see clearly through the dense fog of deceit on every spiritual battlefield they step foot onto. The next thing we will encounter on our spiritual battlefields is accusations. Accusations. The devil is the accuser of the brethren, and he just fires away. And a victory for Satan is to make a Christian who is striving after holiness in the fear of God and practicing repentance when having godly sorrow over sin, a victory for Satan is to make them still feel condemned. Hear me clearly. I'm not speaking of one who, is, of one who falsely speaks peace to themselves while still practicing sin. That person does not need Satan to deceive them, for they are self-deceived and already condemned. You hear me? No, I'm speaking of one who sincerely is of a broken and contrite spirit and confesses their sin to God through Jesus Christ who is faithful and just to forgive their sins and to cleanse them from all unrighteousness. For this child of God to still feel condemned, they are not standing in the victory they have in Christ. They're not. Victory in the face of all the painful accusations made against you seeking to torment your soul and paralyze your joy and rest in the Lord, standing firm in Christ's victory with the breastplate of righteousness is holding dear to your heart that you have a new heart that has been cleansed of all unrighteousness. It's our call to worship. Therefore, brothers... Since we have confidence with the confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us, opened as in it's done, it's been done that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, Jesus Christ our Lord is who that is, Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. A soldier of God, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, 
will meet every one of those accusations against them on the battlefield with unpenetrable fortitude. That's taking it up and putting it to use. Fire away. I know who I am in Christ. A soldier in God's army is also always, 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 always ready to share the gospel of peace. Another thing we will encounter on these spiritual battlefields, opportunities. Opportunities to bear witness to Christ. Opportunities to share the gospel. To share the gospel of peace. Which is such an awesome just punch towards the enemy's gut. I love that. He's attacking us. We're on the battlefield and we have an opportunity and we act on it. We are ready and we do not hesitate to share the gospel of peace. What a blow. A soldier of God is always ready to do so. Just like I feel ready for a run when I lace up my running shoes or Grace is ready to ride Emmy when she's slipping on her riding boots, or Matthew's ready to slay the mountain with a snowboard when he's putting his boots on, his snowboard boots. So also, so also, every soldier, every day, metaphorically speaking, puts on as shoes the readiness to share the gospel of Jesus Christ in any and all circumstances God would provide opportunity to do so. That's a warrior, that is a warrior. I give one example. I will give one example, though there are many. Who did Paul witness to when he was imprisoned in Philippi? Remember, in prison in Philippi. Not many options there. So I'm going to witness to the jailer. Here's an ear. I'm going to let him have it in love and open statement of truth, and the jailer was witness to him. What happened? He believed. The jailer believed, as did shortly later, his whole household. All converted to Christ, and perhaps largely persuaded to be so, as they watched the jailer, the head of the household, what was he doing? He was caring for, he was cleaning the wounds of Paul that more than likely were inflicted by him. He was converted. Paul shared the gospel very much in a battlefield in prison. Paul did not shrink back from declaring the gospel to the very one beating him and keeping guard over his imprisonment. We too are to put on such shoes every day. Readiness. Shoes of readiness to share the gospel of peace in every and each and every God given opportunity encountered on these battlefields. Battlefields that will be met with assaults in every direction. I mentioned Lord of the Rings all those great war movies, what do you see the archers do? Just a line of them, and they just let it fly, right? Just massive cluster, beehive, if you will, just arrows going all direction. 
You don't know where it's coming from. You don't know who's shooting it. That's a fair picture of the attacks of the flaming darts of the enemy. The intent is, I don't care. I just want to hit something and cause carnage, mass destruction. I want to light a flame to this. So if it misses you, it's going to burn something. Mass carnage. If they don't impale you, they don't need to impale you to cause harm. Just within proximity. They can set a blaze and inflict pain on anything, just even a support network that you have, your spouse, your wife, your church, brother and sister in Christ. I mean, it doesn't matter. It just wants to do you harm, whatever way possible. This will also be encountered in spiritual warfare. We need to take up the shield of faith, the shield of faith which can extinguish all the flaming darts hurled your way by the enemy. Do you remember last week when I referenced the chilling passage in Luke 22 where Jesus tells Simon Peter, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat? Listen to what Jesus shared with Peter as to how Jesus was praying for him. Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you, Peter, that your faith may not fail. Your faith may not fail. Active unwavering, believing faith is powerful and destroys every and all onslaughts Satan would send your way. Against active faith, he does so in vain when he shoots these arrows. He does so in vain. Matthew 17, 20, for truly, I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. You see, because it's not the size of faith that matters, it's whether it's present or not. I mean, refresh yourselves once again with Hebrews 11, a long list of very flawed men and women who did impossible things by what? By faith. On spiritual battlefields, we will encounter from every direction assaults on us and everything in proximity to us that have the intent for mass carnage. But all of them, all of them can be extinguished and come to nothing by us taking up the shield of faith, Put, putting or keeping faith, by us keeping faith. Spiritual battlefields can also be very cold. Cold, dark, and lonely. Full of gloom and despair. We know this all too well. 
Therefore, the, the, the final warfare objects used as imagery for the soldier of God to daily take up to successfully live this life by faith is the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Take up. Take up the helmet of salvation. This is protecting what we know to be true. Reminding ourselves, this is not the end. We have a living hope to which we have been called. A home that is not a part of this world. Not here on earth, but but it is an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. That's you and I kept in heaven for us, who by God's power are being guarded. That's you and I being guarded through faith, through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time, a comforting and strengthening promise of God found, of God's found in 1 Peter chapter 1, our heavenly abode kept secure for us by the power of God that will be revealed at the second coming of Christ. We are to take up also that which we have preserved for us and and held in God's highest esteem, his very own word. He's equipped us with his very own word. Psalm 138.2, I bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and for your faithfulness. For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. Heaven and earth may pass away, but God's word will remain. God mightily, mightily equips the Christian soldier with the word of God, which is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of joint and marrow of soul and spirit, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. We take our place on these spiritual battlefields with the sword of the spirit drawn, sword of the spirit drawn, ready to fight and defend the truth we stand on. The weapons of spiritual warfare must be taken up daily. We got to take them up daily that we may be able to stand firm against our enemy in the victory Christ has won for us. There's one more thing. One more thing that is absolutely essential for us to stand in the victory won for us by Christ if we, are to, if we are to successfully live this life by faith. For our third and final concluding point in today's sermon, I recall your attention to the imagery perhaps you had in your mind of David standing on the battlefield with Goliath's sword drawn, perhaps dripping with blood after using it to cut off the giant's head. Perhaps even his foot was on his back. He was a big guy, so maybe he's like this, just, mm. I mean, that's, that's kind of like what I would picture, right? Why not? 
Sure. That would be a typical scene we picture and we often see maybe in movies or books we read. I mean, that's, our hero is victorious. He's on the battlefield standing. The enemy is slain, done. The triumphal moment, our hero stands victorious on the battlefield. Question. What picture do you think rightly depicts standing firm in the victory we have in Christ? What picture do you think rightly depicts standing firm in the victory we have in Christ? Was it like that David and Goliath, that victory? Or maybe it's that Luke Skywalker scene where he's got the lightsaber like this and the wind's just kind of blowing, so his garment's like, like, is it that one? Or is it, is it of a saint who's weeping, crying out to God and holding not a lightsaber, but strong faith? Strong faith as they submit to the Father's will and endure unjust suffering while doing good. Isn't this the picture we have of our Lord Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane? Crying out to the Father in anguish, the hero of our souls, saying, Father, if you you are willing, remove this cup from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And in that dark, despairing, lonely moment, what happened? What happened? Luke twenty-two forty-three tells us, there appeared to him an angel from heaven. And what was he doing? Strengthening him. There appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. Though his disciples didn't remain awake with him to to watch and pray for his support, he was not alone. He was not alone. An angel sent by the Father comes to strengthen him to submit to the Father's will, to suffer the coming shame and ridicule and ultimately the excruciating death of crucifixion. In other words, to entrust his soul to God's will and continue to fight firm to the end, thereby obtaining the victory on behalf of you and I, his bride, the church. We get another powerful scene of this with eyes being opened for the servant of Elisha. Do you guys remember that scene? 
the servant is despairing over the great Syrian army that surrounded their city and is ready to strike. Elisha the prophet in 2 Kings chapter 6 responds to his despairing servant saying, the servant saying, alas, alas, my master, what shall we do? Elisha says in verse 16, do not be afraid. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, Oh Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. God opened He opened the despairing young man's eyes to see the host of an angelic army surrounding he and Elijah to what? To strengthen them. To strengthen the servant of God in the battle. And notice, notice with me, for both accounts, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane and the other one I just finished with Elijah, Elisha. Notice with me, fellow servant yourselves, Notice that prayer is what preceded this. Prayer is what preceded this. You see, because prayer, prayer aligns your heart and your mind to have proper perspective on the battle scene. Prayer appeals to the Father who promises what? He promises to never leave or forsake us. We are never alone on the battlefields. We are never alone on the battlefields. You can entrust yourself to the creator God when suffering unjustly, same as our Lord Jesus did himself. Strengthened in the garden of Gethsemane to endure the unjust cruelty of torture and death by the cross, which won the victory over Satan, sin, and death. We, his followers, are to follow the same pattern. Leading to the victory that is guaranteed for us by Christ in every spiritual battle fought. Our closing verse, first half of verse 18, assures us of our final truth to receive from our Father this morning as we conclude, and that is to know you are never alone. You are never alone. Fully armored, the soldier of God takes her stand on every battle, spiritual battlefield with God. You take your stand with God. He is there with you. He's before you, behind you, and with you who will never leave you or forsake you. And let's read with me the first half of 18. Praying always, sword of the spirit with praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication, constantly with God, talking with him, praying, casting all of your anxieties on him. He is with you. He is with you. You are never alone on the spiritual battlefields. Never. At all times, praying with him, talking with him, drawing strength from him who is always with you. Prayer yields our heart toward God 
to change our perspective when our physical eyes only see despair. No. Dear soldier of God, know that you are never alone. Let's pray. God, you are the greatest warrior. One of the descriptions from your word that depicts you, a warrior God. You've won the victory and you are right there with us in every battle we fight, on every battlefield. And God, these, I, I just think of these battlefields, these battles that we fight and just I'm, times where I know I, I need self-control, I need to be gentle, I need to be composed. And I am feeling like a cattle prod is just firing away at me, zapping me of being disrespected, being opposed, being in every way stirring up that which I'm doing in your strength the best to not be overcome by. And sometimes, Father, these battles are just hot. They're, They're just like, there's pressure all around. It doesn't stop. It seems like it is just, the intensity is unbearable. And other times, there's just a quiet stillness, just a a thick darkness in the battlefield. Confusion and loneliness. Gloom. There's such a variety of things we encounter, experiences, God, but we know that we are not alone. And we know that you have given us, you have equipped us us with everything we need each and every day to live this life by faith, successfully defeating our enemy who is unrelentless in his attempts to bring despair, to bring discouragement, to to bring carnage to our lives. So God, I pray that we together as a church would be encouraged this morning by your word, that we would take hold of these truths, that we would be very mindful and specific to what they are and that we would fight them rightly, not fight them in flesh and blood with our own strength, but in every way with all that you have equipped us to do so. I ask these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Pillar Bible Fellowship. Please email any comments or questions about the sermon to feedback at pillarhoodriver.org.